I'm so glad you're here today. That's exciting. Another welcome to our guests. If you're a guest here, welcome to our second service, our contemporary service. And uh, we hope that the Lord is already speaking to you and that he will continue to. We've been doing a series that I initially intended only to do for the summertime called Kid Stuff for Adults. But uh, so many of you have come and asked me to continue the series into the fall because uh, the Lord is just really speaking to you through it. And so we're going to continue to do that. Today we're going to talk about Joseph. We're going to spend about three weeks on Joseph, an amazing Old Testament Bible character, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, a guy who got it right. You know, there's not many characters in the Bible that God at some point in their life doesn't rebuke about something. Joseph is one of them. This is an amazing young man. We're going to talk about life-changing choices. Every one of us in our life journey from time to time, are going to have to make some important decisions, some important choices. Some of them will be life-changing choices. And we can use this amazing Bible character, Joseph, as a guide in how to do that effectively and how to do that faithfully. Now, last week, we left off, and I don't have time to review everything. If you missed one of the messages, you can go online and listen to it. Go to Media Resources, and then you can catch up with the message. But we're talking about Joseph who is one of 12 brothers to Jacob, is his father, and God had changed Jacob's name to Israel. That's where we get the nation of Israel. 12 brothers are the 12 tribes. Joseph is the 11th. He's one of the youngest brothers. He was favored by his father, and his older brothers hated him because of that. Hated him so much, we discovered that, that as they saw him coming, uh, Jacob, his father, had sent him out to check on his older brothers, and they saw him coming at a distance, and their initial decision was they were going to kill him. They were just going to kill him. That's how dysfunctional this family is. But Reuben, the oldest brother, said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this well. The well was dry. We'll just throw him in there for right now. We'll decide what to do with him later. Reuben thought he'd come back later, rescue him, take him back home. But in the meantime, things began to unravel. We'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 37, very first book in the Bible, Chapter 37, verse 23. It says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamental robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. We remember talking about that robe. Sometimes it's called the robe of many colors. The whole Broadway show was made about Joseph and his technicolor dream coat. Well, they took that robe that his father had given that was a symbol of his father's favoritism, and they threw him in this well. Now, as they sat to eat their meal, and I, and I italicize that in this, this, this verse on the screen because I wanted to see the, the callousness of what's going on. I mean, here, they were thinking of killing their brother. And, and now they've thrown him into a well, and they're just sitting around eating their meal like nothing's going on. You know, Simeon, pass the salt, would you please? And so they're sitting there eating their meal, and they look up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our own brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So the brothers are saying, you know, well, why should we kill him? After I mean, he is our flesh and blood. We hate him. We don't like him. He's, a, he's an obnoxious. He's annoying. But he is our brother, 
And what would we gain by that? Now, we're not thinking about him, not thinking about dad back home and what they're ultimately going to put dad through for years and years and years. They're thinking of themselves. He said, let's make some money on the deal. So they see a caravan coming. They said, we're going to sell them for 20 shekels of silver. Now, I did some research to kind of try to figure out what that is in our money today. And to the best I could calculate, it's between $100 and $200. And remember, this is a wealthy family. You say, well, $100 back in that day. Well, this was a loaded family. They were wealthy. This was chump change. So they sold their brother for chump change. They sent him down to Egypt. Now, can you imagine Joseph? What he must have been feeling, what he must have been experiencing. Undoubtedly crying and scared out of his mind. Totally rejected. Sense of betrayal like probably none of us have ever experienced. He's being carted off. I can see him turning and screaming to his brothers as they're dragging him away in chains. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken them there. He gets down to this strange land. He's stuck up on the slave auction block. And I'm sure there were all kinds of people coming by, opening his mouth to check his teeth and all the disgusting things that that happen on a slave auction block. And here is this this young 17-year-old boy going through this being ripped from his family, ripped from his dad. And finally, Potiphar, a very influential, the ruler, the captain of Pharaoh's personal bodyguard detachment, is the one that comes and buys him. Now, at this point, Joseph is confronted with a life-changing choice. How's he going to respond to this? How, how, what, what, what's he going to do in, in response to this betrayal by his own brothers? In response to being sold like a common slave? He could choose the path of depression and just cry and say, why me? And why would this happen to me? And what did I ever do? He could choose a path of rebellion and just resist his new owner and do everything he can to make his new owner's life miserable. There's a lot of choices, but Joseph chose the path of faith. Don't miss that. Joseph chose a path of faith. Somewhere along the line, Joseph got what his dad never got, what his uncle Esau never got, what his brother certainly never got. Somewhere along the line, Joseph had developed a real relationship with God and even confronted with these circumstances, as horrible as they were, something inside him, in his spirit, in his soul, said, everything is not what it looks like. God is in control. I will respond in faith. The story goes on, Genesis 39, beginning in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. 
Now, because Joseph chose a path of faith, the story took a direction that it would not have taken. Had he been depressed, he probably would have got beaten. He would have got assigned to some menial task. Nobody would have been interested in him. How he rebelled, he would have been beaten, maybe even killed. But because he chose a path of faith, the story moved in a direction that no one would have anticipated. See, when we, when I choose a life of faith, here's what's going to happen. I'll be blessed. I will be blessed. And that's what happened to Joseph. Because he chose a life of faith, he was blessed. It says in Scripture that the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Everything Joseph touched turned to gold. See, God blessed him because he chose to respond in faith rather than in depression, rather than rebellion, rather than with vengeance. When I choose a life of faith, others will be blessed because of me. What an important lesson to learn. Others will be blessed because of me. It said, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Not only was Joseph blessed, not only did Joseph prosper, not only did Joseph go from the slave block all the way up to being the attendant of the, guard, of the captain of Pharaoh's guard, God began to bless the house of Potiphar too. And Potiphar noticed that. Potiphar saw that because of this Hebrew's faith, there was something in this Hebrew that he didn't buy, that he didn't contemplate when he bought him on the slave block. He had got a golden nugget, and everything this guy touched turned to gold. And Potiphar was even blessed. See, now don't miss that life lesson. When I respond in faith, not only will I be blessed, but that blessing will begin to pour off into the to the lives of my spouse and my children and my grandchildren and my mom, my dad, or whoever is involved in it, or my coworkers, my schoolmates. See, when I'm blessed and I'm living in faith and I'm living under the blessing of God, that blessing will radiate out from among me to other people. Why? Because I'm being salt and light. And God's design through my life is to reach out to others and bring them to faith in himself. See, that's exactly what happened. Potiphar had success like he had never had before because of the slave. But also, don't miss this important life lesson. When I choose a life of faith, not everyone will respect my choice. Don't miss that one. When I choose a path of faith, when I choose a life of faith, not everyone's going to be on board with that. Not everyone's going to be happy with that. Not everyone is going to be supportive of that. And that's exactly what happens to Joseph. As the story goes on, Genesis 36, beginning in verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be near her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left the cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. 
when she saw that he had left his coat in her hand and had run out of the house, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought here to make us, to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Wow. What a horrible set of circumstances to find yourself in. But again, in it, we learn another valuable lesson that we can apply every single day to our life, and that's what to do when temptation attacks us. How many of you have ever been attacked by temptation before, huh? All right, now, don't raise your hand on this one. How many were attacked in the last day? <laughs> How many were attacked this morning, huh? See, we all get attacked with temptation. And how we respond is critical to how our life will be, the consequences will follow. See, in Joseph, we get a formula that we can write down and we can go home and use this afternoon. And that's what scripture is. See, scripture is not, scripture is timeless. It bridges yesterday and today. We've already learned what happens when we respond in faith, that I'll be blessed and others will be blessed, and not everyone's going to be happy about that. And Satan may use that, actually, to try to take us down, as he does in the life of Joseph. But Joseph teaches us some valuable lessons. See, he teaches us that when t- temptation attacks, his response was immediate. It was immediate. What's it say? Genesis 39, 8, he says, but he refused. He just refused. Three words. He, but he refused. See, here's what happens. We often tend to flirt with temptation. We flirt with sin to see how close we can get to it before it actually does any damage to us. We'll think about it. We'll look at it. We'll take another look. David, when he was up on the tower and he looked down at Bathsheba and he saw her taking a bath, it wasn't the first look that caused the problem. It was the fact that he kept looking. See, he flirted with it. And that's what we tend to do. We tend to flirt with it. We'll we'll catch something, and that stimulus will catch our eye, will catch one of our senses, and instead of just refusing to submit to it, we kind of flirt with it. We skirt with it. We fantasize about it. We think about it. But he flat out refused. Now, I want you to think about the situation he's in. Undoubtedly, this is a gorgeous woman. I mean, she's the wife of one of the most rich people in Egypt. She's on the social A-list. She's got access to all the cosmetics and all the, 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 the whatever they had that day to make her look beautiful. And I'm sure she was beautiful. And here's this beautiful, gorgeous, powerful woman coming and wanting to seduce him. But beyond that, remember, he's a slave. He's property. And this is his master's wife. He has no, no recourse He can't go file a sexual harassment suit against her. He can't go down there and and just quit his job and find another job where he's not confronted with this situation. But in the face of all of that, he knew there was a law higher than the law of man. He knew there was a law higher than ownership of a slave. He knew that there was God's law. And he refused. Listen, the moment we begin to debate the merits of wrong behavior, we give Satan a foothold. The moment we 
Don't refuse. The moment we give it a thought, the moment we give it another look, we are welcoming Satan to come roaring into our life. And that's what, that's what Peter says, that, that he's like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. And when we don't resist immediately, we are opening the door for him to come in and really start messing with us. His response was immediate. Joseph counted the cost realistically. He didn't just not do it because it was wrong. He went beyond that. He considered the consequences. See, Joseph had a realistic view of what was really at stake in this situation, at really what was about to happen. He knew that it, that seduction, that temptation was a violation of the trust that had been given to him by his master Potiphar. Potiphar said trusted him with everything in the house. Said Potiphar didn't even concern himself about anything except what he was having for breakfast. It was all Joseph's. Potiphar had taken that Hebrew slave from the slave block and made him his personal tenant, put him over everything and everyone in his house. And Joseph said, how? How would you have me? How would you invite me to betray that kind of trust? He knew it was a violation against marriage. He knew that, that that wasn't some single woman. That wasn't one of Potiphar's daughters. That was his wife. And he knew what God said about the sanctity of marriage. He knew what God said about fidelity. And he knew what even man and man's laws had said about fidelity. Most of all, he knew it was a sin against God. So he refused. He counted the cost. He knew what it could have cost him, but he knew that he was not going to violate the trust of his master. He was not going to defile his marriage, and he was most of all not going to sin against God. See, we often fail to, to calculate the cost of yielding to temptation. We, we get stimulated, and we get enticed, and we're tempted, and we just want to get into it. And impulsively, sometimes we dive in without counting the costs, but mark it down. There is always a price to pay for yielding to temptation, even if we don't get caught by anybody. Even if we don't get caught. I won't ask for a show of hands. Because I'd be afraid you asked me to raise my hand. How many of us are carrying around the guilt of stuff we did but got away with? How many of us are carrying around the baggage of things that we did no one else has ever found out about? But it's robbed us of our self-esteem. It's robbed us of our own integrity. How many of us are carrying around shame? How many of us are carrying around regret? See, there's always a price to pay, even if it's just to ourselves. Joseph counted the cost. He resisted the pressure persistently. Notice that scripture says in Genesis 39.10, and though she spoke to, G to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Wasn't one temptation. Wasn't one time. I, 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 I picture in my mind that she was enjoying the hunt. 
She was enjoying tempting him. She was enjoying flirting with him. She was enjoying trying to seduce him. She was enjoying to see if she could get this handsome young man into bed with her. She kept toying with him every day. Every day, he gave the same answer, no. See, when Satan senses vulnerability, he doesn't go away quickly. That's why it's important for us to say no. That's why it's important for us to immediately count the cost. Because if we don't, then Satan is just going to up the ante. Satan is going to turn up the gas. Satan is going to make it harder and harder and harder and harder and harder on us. We are going to be fighting a harder battle than if we would have just said no at the very beginning. See, but even though Joseph was doing the right thing, she wasn't. And so Satan knew as long as she wasn't doing the right thing that she could use or he could use her to keep tempting him, to break him, to take him down. But he resisted that. Not only that, but he avoided that temptation strategically. It's a, even though day after day she kept coming to him, he refused to go to bed with her and said what? And nor even go near her. He did everything he could to stay out of the way. He did everything he could never to be around her. He especially tried to protect himself of ever being alone with her. See, if you know that something will be a situation that is going to possibly tempt you, stay away. Stay away from it. Don't go near it. Guys, if you're driving home and every time you drive home, you're going by one of those gentleman clubs, and every day you look at that sign and you're thinking about what's going on in there, find yourself a new route to work. Amen? See, sometimes we just got to stay away from things. We know our weakness. I know my weaknesses. You know your weakness. Every one of us are thinking about them right now. thing that makes sense is just don't go where we can be tempted. See, ultimately, he fled the trap decisively. He just ran. When she grabbed him, and I believe that she just didn't kind of put an arm around him, I think she grabbed his coat with both hands, and she was starting to disrobe him, and she was ready to get in the bed with him, and she was tearing that off, and when that happened, he didn't hesitate. He, he had already counted the cost. He just ran out of that house, and he left her hanging with that coat. See, see sometimes we simply need to get out of the situation that's causing the problem. You're single and you're in a relationship with, a, with someone who's not a believer and that, that, believers, that unbeliever is, is constantly trying to get you to do things and go places believers have no business going and you've tried to witness and you've tried to testify and you've tried to live a life and they won't change. You've got to get out of that relationship. You're working someplace and, and that place is, is, is constantly forcing you or tempting you to do shady deals, or maybe even things that border on the line of criminality, you need a new job. Just get out of there. That's exactly what he did. He ran. He didn't hesitate. 2 Timothy 2.22 says to us, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. See, we got to flee one thing, but it's not enough just to flee one thing. We got to flee to something else. And we, Joseph fled back to God, and we need to flee back to God. 
Another lesson, though, sadly, is this. Doing the right thing doesn't always guarantee a righteous response. Now, that's important to understand that. You can do everything Joseph did. You can choose the path of faith. You, you can refuse immediately. You can refuse persistently. You can count the cost. You can do all. You can do it all textbook to what the Bible says. And that doesn't mean you're always going to have a righteous response. That's exactly what happened to Joseph. Let's look again. It says, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought here to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Now, we've all heard the expression, hell hath no fury like a woman scorn. And that's what we're thinking right now. And undoubtedly, that was a big part of it. Rejection time after time after time. She could not get. She realized she could not, no matter how much she charmed him, no matter how much she tried to seduce him, no matter how much she did whatever she did, and I'm sure she used every trick in the book, she could not get him into bed. She was rejected and she was angry. But I believe there's another element to it that would be easy for us to miss. See, if that's all it was, all she had to do was wait for her husband to come home. But what did she do? She called in the staff. She called in the servants. See, in the culture of ancient Egypt, nudity was a very casual thing. Children, it got to be 120 degrees in Egypt in the summertime. Children would run around in their birthday suits, Women of lower class would run around topless. Even those of wealthy classes, they would, they would wear such sheer garments that they were almost transparent. Nudity, the human body, was not a big deal. It was on full display in Egypt. However, there was one taboo, and that was adultery. Didn't cross that line in Egypt. Now, before you were married, you, you were free as a man or a woman to have as many sexual dalliances as you wanted to have. In fact, they encourage that because you'd get experience for when you got married. But when you got married, that was the one taboo you could not break. For an Egyptian man to break that taboo, he would get a thousand lashes of a whip. It was worse for a woman. For a woman who broke that taboo, they would slice her nose. And that would be a permanent sign that she was a woman without integrity, that she was an adulteress, that she had broken the one sexual taboo of the land of Egypt. And I think that's why she called on all the staff, see? She called, she had to protect herself. She had to cover herself. She had to make sure that she had a plan all set and, and so that, that she wouldn't be the one that the axe would fall on. Scripture goes on to say, when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. I'll bet he did. What husband here wouldn't burn with anger over that scenario? 
But again, if we look at the story closer, there's an unusual twist here. It goes on to say that Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. By the way, in a lot of my research, I, I find a lot of people said this is one of those white-collar prisons like we have today where they have TVs and ping-pong and pool. And, you know. But I did some research and found that no such thing existed in ancient Egypt. In fact, most primitive in, in ancient civilizations didn't have prisons. They responded with either a fine bodily mutation, mutilation. There we go. I'll get it out. Give me a moment. Or death. They didn't send anybody to jail. They killed them, mutilated them, or fined them. Egypt was an advanced civilization. They had a jail, but it wasn't a white-collar jail. But that has nothing to do with where I want to go. The Egyptian penalty of either rape or attempted rape was death, immediate death. But Potiphar didn't kill Joseph. See, when it says he was enraged, I think he was enraged about several things. I think initially when he heard the story, he probably said, well, that Joseph, I've trusted him, and he betrayed. But then I think he got to thinking, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like Joseph. That's not the Joseph I know. That's not the Joseph I've seen. And you know what? I'll bet Joseph wasn't her first prey. Huh? And I'll bet even Potiphar might have had a suspicion, or maybe he outright knew that his wife was not a woman of integrity. See, he had, he had choices. He, he, he could have had Joseph severely beaten. He could have given him the thousand lashes. He could have castrated him and made him a eunuch to make sure that never happened again. Or he could have killed him, and that was the law. But instead, as horrible as is, he put him in prison. Well, you say, well, if he thought that, why did he put him in prison? Because he was a man of reputation. He was a man of renown. He was an official he couldn't just overlook that. His whole household servants had been brought into this drama. And so he put him in prison. It was his good life that saved his life. And Peter, one of the original disciples, says that's true of us too. And in his first letter in the New Testament, Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. In other words, you know, it's not always going to turn out. We're not always going to have a righteous response to our righteous behavior. But know this, that if we live a life of righteousness and not just moments or not just talk the talk but not walk the walk, when it comes to the place where we are accused, there will be people who will rally to our side and say, now wait a minute, something stinks here. Something's not wrong here. Right, what can we take home today? Some great lessons, some great hope. To, to take this home today that we can resist temptation 
I know sometimes you don't think like you can. I know sometimes it seems too much. And I know you think, I just can't do this. But listen, Joseph is living proof in the Bible and there's other models in the Bible and there's other models in life that yes, we can resist temptation. We don't have to surrender to it. We don't have to be beat up by it. We don't have to leave guilty because of it. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul writes this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It says, and God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. Say it again. God is faithful. faithful. See, it says, he'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You say, oh, you don't understand. Yeah, I do understand it. Trust me. But Scripture is true. God is faithful. God is true. He will never send anything your way or allow anything to come your way because God doesn't tempt, remember, that he doesn't give you an escape plan to get out of it. You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to struggle with that anymore. You don't have to carry that burden anymore. You don't have to feel shamed anymore. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. Listen, there is a way out. And the way is to choose, and it is a choice to choose a path of faith. To resist immediately. To count the costs realistically. To resist the pressure of repetity. To avoid Sometimes just to flat out run away. And when you choose the path of faith, the result is not guilt. The result is not shame. The result is peace, joy, love. But we also have learned that doing righteous doesn't always guarantee a righteous response. Just know that, understand that. Sometimes you'll do it exactly right and you'll lose your job. Sometimes you'll do it exactly right and that boyfriend, that girlfriend will leave you. Sometimes you'll do it exactly right and you'll still have financial problems. Sometimes you'll do it exactly, what you you just fill in the blank. See, righteous behavior does not always result in a righteous result. But let me clarify, the story's not over yet. I can't wait next week to share some of the story with you. But know this. Doing right will ultimately guarantee a righteous result. Let me say it again. Doing right will ultimately guarantee a righteous result. Again, Scripture says, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because, read it with me, is your reward in heaven. Read it again. Read it again. Oh, there's, that's where it counts. See, that's where it counts. Now, I promise you God ain't going to let you abandon here either. We're going to continue the story, and the story is amazing, and you'll get such encouragement from this story as we continue on. But understand this, even when everything goes wrong, when we choose the path of faith, we can't lose. Because when it's going to count most, and when does it count most? It counts most for me when I'm standing eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ. When I pass this life either through death or if I happen to be one of the most fortunate people who have ever lived and is here at the return of Jesus Christ, and I get raptured out of here, and that's what I'm hoping for. Amen. Now I don't even have to leave, lose weight to do it. <laughs> you can pull this fat body right out of here. 
doesn't matter because God's at the end of the story. And it's going to be okay. And if man doesn't reward me, God rewards me. And don't get me wrong, I love the reward of man like anybody else, but I'd rather have the reward of God any day. Amen? God is at the end of the story. Oh, I can't wait to share with you next week. So how do you know God will do all this? How do I know Jesus will, will be there? Well, I'll tell you what, why I know it. It's because he died on the cross for me. If he's willing to die for me, is there anything else he wouldn't do for me? Our ushers, our deacons, our elders are going to come forward. We're going to receive communion as we prepare to, to end the service today. And as we receive communion today, let's receive it in this, this spirit as a guarantee of the love of God for me, the love of God for you, the love of God for us, that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. As you, plates are passed, take a cracker and put it on your lap, then take one of the cups and, and then pass the tray to your, your friend. Listen, this is proof that God is at the end of the story. This is proof that Jesus will take us through whatever life throws at us. This is proof that he will never forsake us, that he'll never abandon us. If he would die for us, there's nothing else he wouldn't do for us. I hope believers today have received encouragement. I hope if you're dealing with some temptation, some besetting sin, that you have a new degree of hope today. That you now know you don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to suffer that way anymore. You don't have to be the victim anymore. You can be the victor. If you'll embrace what God's word taught about resisting temptation. Maybe you're here today and you've done it all right. And yet you haven't had a righteous result. And you've been asking, where are you, God? Well, he's at the end of the story. That's where he's at. But maybe there's a man or a woman here today who has so much of a greater need than either of those things. Because you've not settled in your life where you're going to spend eternity. You don't really know. Now, now you, you unless you just came because somebody really twisted your arm today to come here with them, then you're a person that at least has some degree of faith here. And you know there is a life to come. What's going to happen to you when this life ends? Most people are hoping that when this life ends and they stand before Jesus Christ, that he's going to see the value of the goodness of their life, of their kindness, of their generosity. And most people believe and most world religions teach that if our good works outweigh our bad works, we'll be welcomed into eternity. But listen to me carefully now. That's not true. That's not scripturally accurate. Were that true, then Jesus never needed to come to this world and die on the cross. Amen. But the reason Jesus came is because we could not live up to the law. 
We could not be good enough. We could not be righteous enough. Not any of us. Scripture says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Scripture also says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Don't miss this part. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus himself said it in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus died so that I don't have to die. Jesus died so that you don't have to die eternally. Scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. All he asks for is your faith. All he asks is that you believe him and that you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you express that faith, if you confess it with your mouth, if you believe it in your heart, God says, I'll forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, and I give you the promise of eternal life with me. 1 John 5, 13, these things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not because of how good you are. It's not because of how bad you are. It's because Jesus died for us.